Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Sarah Box. She's a coach, consultant, and author who helps nonprofit executives who are overextended at work and home by showing them how to regain time, reduce stress, and lead strategically so they can live a life they love at work and at home. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Amy. And thank you for having me. Yeah. So how did you become a coach for nonprofit executives? Lots of years. I actually used to be an executive director of a couple nonprofits and over time realized what I didn't know. And then a small consulting firm asked if I would come and work for them. And here I am working out in the trenches and I wasn't sure. I said yes. But then I really started working on like all the organizational design issues around nonprofits and all of that. So that blend of having led a nonprofit, been a board member, staff member in nonprofits, as well as a consultant to nonprofits for organization development, team development, strategic planning, all of that kind of put me into that world. And the thing I love about the nonprofit world, and really I experienced this when I was volunteering even before this, was just that shared effort towards a shared vision or mission. So really that purpose-driven thing that brings people together, even if they're not anything alike outside of the organization, right? They have different interests, but it's like, no, we are in this for the purpose, for our mission. And I love that. And I know nonprofit work over the years has become more and more relied upon, as well as it's, a, it's tough. You know, it's hard work to be out there doing this work and not having tools or resources that maybe the public sector and the business sector might have access to. Yes, definitely. So what are the top struggles executives are facing that you have discovered? Well, recently, it's the whole dealing with the stress of COVID, you know, and right when that hit a year and a half ago, you've got folks scrambling right now. They're staff who are oftentimes providing frontline resources and supports to kids and families, or they're doing community work no longer can be face to face with people. Right. And at that beginning pace, we didn't even know who could be in offices together. So then they had to go right into a digital and remote environment. So think about that. If you are used to working daily side by side with someone and maybe you don't even need tech. Now you do, and you need to know how to communicate. So there was all of that transition there, but honestly, at an executive and management level, I saw the burnout that happens from that, like over, I don't wanna make it sound like it was too much caring, but it's that other focus. So, and this was not uncommon. The executives would say, you know, but my staff is working so hard and our volunteers are, I feel like I have to be available 24-7 can honestly now I'm in my house and all I have to do is put my computer on. And so that was that whole shift of going, you can't, you can't, you cannot do that. Right. And giving yeah. permission to that. Now it's like, how do we attract and retain talent to the nonprofits benefit because they are vision and mission oriented organizations people really want to work and be somewhere where they know they are valued and making a difference. So I think it's an opportunity, but I'm not saying that jump from what was to what is, is a smooth jump. 
So long answer. Yeah, no, that's definitely good. And I think that there's so many people that are in the nonprofit sector that are givers and sometimes they are over givers at, a, at the price of sacrificing themselves sometimes. Right. And yeah, it's, it's so important to be filling yourself up so that you can give more. It is the other thing, Amy, you know, and I remember this, this is one of those things when you look back on an action that you took and, and you went, oh, I might've been able to handle that a little different, but I remember when I was running the nonprofit and this was back in the mid mid nineties, right? Our organization was the largest one of its type in our area of of Nevada, and we had a number of state contracts. I mean, we were doing work out in the rural areas, and but the margin of which we had to support our staff with in proportion to the number of clients they wanted us to see kept shrinking. And I remember going to one of my board members who was just super, I learned so much from her and saying, I don't think this is right. And I think we should not take this contract. Now, the board chair was not a big fan of government contracts anyway, because he's a businessman. He goes, I don't, I'm fine with that, but what are we going to do? So in a moment of playing a little bit of chicken, but honestly, knowing we would be losing staff, they would start dwindling. I had permission, but I'm thinking this could be disastrous, right? But I knew our staff value was high. And I just said, we can't do this contract anymore at that margin. We can't, we need more admin. Well, we don't think we can do that. My board is okay with us not taking this contract. And anyway, long story short, they modified it, but it also points out a lot of people and nonprofits feel like they should take what's given, but honestly, they don't have enough resources to run an effective organization. They're just doing like direct service, but yeah. nothing to evaluate. Is it working? Or do we have HR things in place? Can we retain staff, right? Losing staff is expensive. Mm-hmm. Losing intellectual property is expensive. So, I mean, all of those things really strike at the heart of me for struggles that don't need to be there, right? But it takes some courage and someone helping you say, you can't run your organization without a margin. And guess what? You're nonprofit. That doesn't mean you run in the red. It's bringing business from the corporate sector of which I was in for the past 20 years before I went out on my own. And now it's mine, bringing that in to help nonprofits along with the humanity and everything we're learning around emotional intelligence and team building, all of that. So let's talk a little bit more about harnessing the business mindset and strategic thinking. The focus of most businesses are what? To make a profit. And then you go to nonprofits and it's focused for just helping people, but they still need to make sales. They still need to bring the revenue in, even though they don't necessarily have the same, they don't call things the same, right? You might sell a product or service, but it's a donation. How do you harness the business mindset and bring it over to the nonprofit world? Kind of in black and white, right? And it depends on the organization. I'm going to give you an example of an organization who at the time that I got connected with them, small organization, but the biggest in their community. So small rural community removed from the rest of the county, which was much bigger. So their funders relied on them because they were the best place to get services into the community. But one funder, which means all their eggs were in one basket, right? So if that funder said jump, they had to jump. And so the conversation we had was show me your budget. 
Where's your staff development? Where is who follows you, right? Say you're out of the picture. So we basically started looking at numbers and I said, where do you want to be? And she said, you know what I want to be is I don't want to have to take money from this funder anymore. She liked the funder, but it was that thing of being like not being able to pivot to respond to the community if they needed to. So the irony is one of the first things she had to do was go to her board of directors and say, I need a cushion. They had it. They just were used to making wait until she got in a crisis to give it to her. And and so I said, here's the first conversation. You need a $50,000 cushion in your bank account. You don't need to beg for it. It needs to be there so you can leverage it for getting other grants or bringing other donors in. But more thinking about, you wouldn't expect a business. You wouldn't run your business, Amy, going, oh, gee whiz, I, I don't have any cash flow. I have no flexibility. Oh, I can't pay someone to help me. You wouldn't do it. You just, because you couldn't survive on it. So part of it's just getting really taking wherever that organization is in the moment and making examples real to where they are and not asking them to stretch, right? She knew where she wanted to be in five years. She actually got there in three, but it was that first baby step, the uncomfortable one of saying, you just have to ask. Let's see what happens when you ask, right? Let's that conversation, which she did. She's, she's a fantastic leader and very brave, but that set her down a path of like, okay, now we can do these other things and just partner with other people. But it really is just putting it in black and white and giving permission. It's okay. Right. Here's in fact, here's the studies that back that up. And here's the rationale why. So when you talk to your board or your funders, this is why. It's not like you're just pulling this out of the air. These are real numbers. And we're doing that right now on another project, a collaborative project where it's it's time to go. This is what we need, what's going to take to get where we're going in three years. But it's basically thinking with a business mindset, but applying it to the humanistic and nonprofit sector. Well, let's talk about burnout. It's that is seen a lot in the nonprofit world. And how do you help support executives to avoid it? First, you recognize that it's real and and call it out. So people don't necessarily know that what they're experiencing is burnout. I do that in a number of ways. Sometimes we will write articles or do things that are very simple that we can send to folks. The other thing is we'll have guests on our podcast or things that speak to that. But usually I'll have a one-on-one conversation. So I've got a gal who asked if she could talk to me this afternoon. I know that's what it's about. She didn't put it in her writing because she was on email, but I've been watching her trajectory and I'm thinking it's about time that she kind of flames out, you know, she's just been push, push, pushing. But I think it's, you have to have a safe space to be able to have a conversation with someone and ask some questions and then say, okay, let's look at the signs and see if any of these feel familiar to you. And then what are some steps you can take? But it really is what is that person willing to take and really how small, what a baby step could that be? Because when you're burnt out, everything feels overwhelming. If you were someone who runs a nonprofit and your heart is to give, how do you avoid giving too much to the point of sacrificing yourself? We talked a little bit about this, but are there some things that people can do to kind of maybe some boundaries that they can establish to keep themselves from, keep themselves in check? Absolutely. You can, depending on your personality type and what you're comfortable with, one of the easiest ways is you just say, I'm, 
yes, I'm available for meetings anytime after X, but you make sure that whatever that time is before then is your time, whether it's time for you to take care of yourself, do exercise, get centered for the day or do some productive work right before you go right into meetings. For my personality, I do best if I don't start any meetings before 1130 in the morning, because I need that time to get crank out work and do creative work. But it's different for different people. So that's part of it. The other thing is, if you've got someone you trust in your organization, or you have very close relationships with a team, you give permission, permission to people to call you out. And I don't mean call you out and point fingers at you, but say, if you're going into a meeting, and this is common for me to ask someone is, when was the last time you stood up from your computer? Oh, man, nonstop. I said, let's take five before we even start. Walk around, get some tea, water, whatever. We'll, we'll wait, right? Even that five minutes can be a reset. And we can do that for each other. You want to be given permission instead of having someone just start doing that with you. But the other thing is to think, start thinking about what is a short thing you can do, first of all, to renew and regenerate yourself. And different people need different things. You know, what's for you, Amy? Like when you're just stressed, what's something you do that like if you only had 10 minutes, but you know, oh, if I could do this for 10 minutes, it'd be great. I just feel refreshed. Yeah, I think I do a lot of breathing. If you've heard of Wim Hof, it's he's got an app. It's in the app store, WHM. And he's got like breathing exercises that you do. It walks you through it and it's breathing in, you know, 40 times. And then you stop breathing because you're full of oxygen. You, then you breathe in and it, it takes you out of your mind, like out of your brain overthinking. So I find that gets me in the present. Uh, sometimes I'll take a couple of minutes to mess around with my garden on my deck, I'll take my dog out and go for a little walk around the, the building. Yeah. So some of those things definitely help me throughout. The and day. they all do a physiological shift. They change your physical state of being and your awareness. Yeah. And sometimes that's all we need is a little bit, right. To go, okay, I've got, now I can settle in again and be present. I also think it's important to, to recognize it's okay to say no. And that's the hardest thing when you're used to saying yes, is feeling that kind of like anticipation of, well, am I going to get in trouble? Or am I going to let people down? What will happen? And if you can ride out that feeling of discomfort a few times, you realize people really don't miss you that much. Yeah. You know, it's nice to feel that wanted, but honestly, people will start to resolve some of this. They'll go to, they'll ask someone else, Hey, yeah. you know, Amy wasn't available, but I just got this quick question. Could you help me? Yeah. You know, and then setting up some simple systems, like if I'm not available, then you go to this person or that person, just so people aren't stuck, but also so you don't feel 24 seven, you're on the hook for being available. So important to, like you said, not doing meetings at a certain time, giving yourself that time to get certain work done. I do similar to that. And also making sure like you take weekends off with a few exceptions, very few ex exceptions if possible. I definitely don't personally do meetings on weekends. I learned that quick. I in the beginning, I did in the beginning. I was like, oh yeah, it doesn't matter. Seven days a week. Here I am. And then I learned really quick that you burn yourself out and then you're, you're good for nothing. So every weekend I'll say that to myself, look, you could work and you could work a lot right now, but if you don't take some time out, you're going to be absolutely worthless for everybody.
But that's kind of training yourself and taking responsibility, right? Yeah, definitely. The other thing I think is really helpful is if you know somebody is being brave enough to make those shifts, like you said, so say someone was seven days a week, I'm always available, I'm always cranking out work, and you recognize that they say, I'm, I'm not going to be available again until Monday, cheer them on, say, way to go, Amy, you know, that right on, because I guarantee you, unless you are in a line of work, frontline work, but office level work, a crisis can wait. Right. I mean, depending on your business, but honestly, I started asking myself, this was back a few years ago, because I I would be like Saturday, Sunday nights, whatever. I'm thinking, is anybody going to die if I don't do this? Right. No, then I'm going to wait. Right. Because I know the more tired I am, the longer it takes me to do something anyway. You have to push yourself through it. It's easy to just keep doing what you've been doing, but it's harder to challenge yourself and go, just try it as a test. Will you survive? I bet they will. Yeah. And some people will be mad because you're not at their beck and call. And that's not always a bad thing. Yeah. Sometimes boundaries are really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you facilitate bringing nonprofits together to collaborate? I always start by finding something common that they want to achieve. So usually when they're coming together, one of them or a funder will have a big idea that they want these guys to come together to do, which is great. Otherwise, they wouldn't be showing up in the room. They have some interest in it. But I have found over the years that there's always something. If you say, you know, if this is really successful, I want you guys to think of, you know, two or three years down the road, what's going to be different for you guys? And then find some low-hanging fruit. And even if that's not on the funders list, get it done because it creates momentum, but it creates a sense of ownership on the collaboration rather than reliance on a consultant or a coach right? It's like, we did this. And then just kind of, I like being able to walk alongside while folks are doing that and bring in resources. So for instance, Amy, if I was working with a group and they were stuck and I'm going, I'm going to give my friend Amy a call, right? And say, because I know what they need are some of her, not me, bring it in and elevate that way. But I, I really think reminding folks of why they're together, having them create their own purpose statement and their own values. What what is not going to be okay in this group, and what will be? Because when things get sticky, and it, and this common values like we're going to do what we say we'll do, so we can trust each other. When the wheels start falling off, it's really great to say, okay, let's go back. Let's just check in on where you guys set your foundation, and does this still fit for you? And then they see themselves as a unit. In this group I'm working with now, one of the things that was helpful. They all had a similar purpose and they created a really great vision and they know their mission, what they're after. But, you know, we had all the wildfires in Northern California that just went on and on this year. Well, it wiped out a chunk of a county that intersected. We have some intersecting county participants, but this group came together in a totally different way than what they actually do on their day-to-day basis to respond to families in need, right? And they did it fast, Amy. Like we're in the middle of a meeting, we've got 20 minutes left and they're going, hey, what are we gonna do about this? Okay, we're gonna do boom, 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 boom. And all I did at the end of the meeting say, so just let me know what's your follow-up and timing on this, you guys. By the next meeting, it was done and over, but they did that. So that's an example of like, let's do something together and create energy together, momentum. So. I really think people need to own what they want. What are some of your client success stories? 
Well, I, I told you about the gal who really wanted to have more margin in her nonprofit so they could do more and they could add programs and respond. It's 10, 11 years past that point. Her budget's huge. She still has that original funder. They love her. The better she's doing, the more they want to fund her. So that's great. But she's also branched out and worked cross-sector, if you will. So not just in their field, but doing different things. And her team, at the time that I met with her, she had a team of two and a couple of part-time folks. She now has a team of 10. They're very independent. They all have very specific roles. They know they can fill in for one another. They have that whole succession piece. So like if someone's out, this is who's, you know, not just who's in charge, but who can handle things. So it's not a hierarchy. It's kind of like, here's where so-and-so shines. So ask them to do this. And it's just amazing because her team is so tight, but they're so loving and caring of each other. And they're very different people. I mean, if you looked at them on a out playing, you're thinking, how are these guys connected? You know, but they are connected heart and soul in that community and their vision and mission. So that getting working in that field was great. Another gal who was running a major program for a national area wanted to leave that, wanted to start her own business, but she had a longer term vision that was even bigger. She wasn't sure how to get there. So I worked with her as a coach and she mapped out her short term, which she did. She accomplished that. And then she was able, she was asked to take on a role of leadership for another organization who three years later was the organization she wanted to have in the very beginning piece. But it's that whole piece of like asking, getting down to the core of who the person is and what matters to them instead of fitting into boxes, like, well, this is what you have to do. Where do you want to be? What success look like for you and your heart? You know, what, what matters? And she's amazing. I actually think she should be on the national level because she's brought so much wisdom to a community and now her state. So those are two off the top and there are many others, but they, those two continually inspire me. Yeah. You think so many businesses don't survive and because they're not making enough revenue and think of how much harder it is for nonprofits. So that's, that really is amazing. What do you think has been your truth that's gotten you this far in your journey? (laughs) My truth, my truth. I'm actually uncovering more and more of my truth. Sometimes it's just been, I would have said in the past, it's just been luck but I'm not really sure I actually believe in luck. I just think it's timing and showing and saying yes. When an opportunity offers up, just say yes, try it out. Don't get so worried about it. My shortcomings have been my strengths. I didn't really recognize that. My ability to detach and be objective and to listen to different viewpoints and help people talk through it and then really be strategic. You know, like why this now? What else might you do? And being, you know, those kinds of nuts and bolts strategy, but really tied to what am I hearing? You know, so if I'm talking to someone and they're telling me this, I can hear kind of subtext and ask a question that helps them kind of reveal more of that. So that's been helpful. It has also shown me where I don't work well. If I can't connect to the heart of somebody and help them shine, and I have to force them to be other than they naturally are, I can't do it. I've made some choices that were rash because I couldn't do that. 
but it's been a constant over my life. So my ability to detach and make decisions logically and strategically is great. It doesn't come so well when people put me in a corner and I'm going, oh, got to go. Bye. You know, I'm not, we're not going to do that. So that's been great because it's helped me take chances that I might not have taken otherwise. I like that. One more yeah. question for you. If you were able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out, what would it be? Have a little bit more lightness and give yourself a little bit more grace. That's good. I like both of those too. <laughs> Definitely. So let's talk a little bit about your programs. You've got a couple of retreats that you do and all kinds of coaching. You want to share a little bit about that. And then you also have some Enneagram programs that you're working on. I do my one-on-one coaching. That's usually a three-month extent with somebody. So if someone came and said, I'm trying to put something together, I'm not sure how to start, we would go, we would work through that much like I did with that gal I was talking about where we really dig into that person, what matters to them, what they're trying to accomplish, what they've already done that's worked, what's not worked, and really kind of think forward on that. That's a one-on-one piece, and those build over time. I found that you know a three-month period, 12 weeks, gets good traction. Oftentimes, people want to hang out a little longer and, and go deeper. And I can work with teams like I'm doing now where they have a goal And it's helping them facilitate moving for that goal, but being really clear about what's sticking at an organization level is it shifts more into organizational development. Like where are you now as an organization? And I use an assessment for that, a validated assessment, and then help the organization decide together what is next, not just one leader, but where are they committed to going? So in big buckets, that's it. As well as the, you know, the podcast, I have online courses. So if someone wants to understand how to do strategic planning, I've got a a jumpstart program that would help somebody within an organization who this happened to me, actually, as an executive director back in the nineties, someone said, okay, we want to do a strategic planning process and I'm, you know, I'll fake it. I said, okay, great. And then I walked in my office and went, I don't even know what that is, right? So anyway, I put together a jumpstart, which actually outlines what you need. But more importantly, it begins with getting clear about what you expect to come out of that process, because it's different for different organizations. And how do you get a team to help you do it so that at the end of it, you don't own it all. So that's a great, easy program. And then I've got the more in-depth 12-week version of that where you get coaching with me in that. But the Enneagram that you're talking about, I'm super excited about this. I'm just certified in that. And I'm going to be offering that to folks who want to learn more about connecting with their, like, who really are they? Who were they meant to be? Learning about their motivations, their desires, their fears, any weaknesses or blind spots so that they can connect more deeply to themselves and live into that. And it, at a team level, when you're doing that, it helps build everybody's ability to be empathetic and understand other viewpoints. Because surprisingly to me, as someone who's got a fairly strong personality, but very introverted, it shocked me that people didn't see things the way I do. I'm thinking it's so obvious. Well, we all think it's so obvious and guess what? It's not. So I'm excited about bringing that in to the group and, you know, People, it can be graduated. There's folks who just want to take the assessment and get some results. They can do that. But if they want to understand those results, there's a discovery course. It's a five week where we, you know, we go over 
your results and hone them in so they fit for you so that you're not feeling like you just got pigeonholed when you're going, that's not quite me, you know, and we go through that. And then for folks who want to go beyond that, it's really then what do you do with that information and how does that apply to your goals and where you want to go? And at the end of the day, my vision and my hope is that everybody is much more connected to who they truly are at their core so they can actually just live that way and we can all benefit from it. Love that. So if someone's listening and they would love to get a hold of you, what's the best way to contact you? To going over to sarahbox.com, there's a contact me page. You can email me at sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at sarahbox.com. Pretty simple. And I'll get back to you. We've got a team who will look for those emails. You can listen to a podcast or go to the website and sign up so that you get notified of the things that are going on. We're going to do a promo. It may be done before this is over, but we're going to let 10 people come in and experience some of the Enneagram, a discovery session. It's a short session, but we're going to give them a 50% discount on it so they can dip their toes in the water and see what might be possible for them. So that's coming up. And, but I'd love to hear from folks. Perfect. And I'll put all those links down below. Thank you so much for coming on, Sarah, and sharing your expertise in this area. I think it's so beyond needed. Thanks, Amy. You're a great host and it's so good to see you and talk with you. Yes. And if you are listening and you want more information about this podcast and upcoming shows, you can visit a call to thrive.com. Thank you everyone. And have a wonderful day.